Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer first. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for the mercies you bestow upon us. And Father, I pray now for the Holy Spirit to enter in this place and enter each one's hearts that they might have an ear to hear the message today, but not only to hear, but as they receive the message that they go out and perform what you would have them to do. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In my life, I've heard a lot of different sermons. And uh, the ones that uh, struck me the most is when it's talking about somebody else's sins. Because I can say amen to that. I can say amen all day long, and I can talk about it after, after the sermon and everything else. I, I'm great with it. And even uh, some preachers have a thing that they put in little lines that they get the little amens. And uh, I think one of the greatest places to talk is in church. And uh, let's say that it's Mother's Day. you got a lot of mothers in church. And you talk about the husband and what the husband needs to do for the wife. I mean, you get lots of amens from the women. This is something like what Amos had going on. And uh, thus saith the Lord to you, what could this sermon talk about? It must have to do something with us, right? And what does the Lord have to say? We'll turn to Amos 1, verses 1 through 2. And it says, the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzzah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of jo Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitations of the shepherds shall mourn the top of Carmel shall wither. Amos, who was he? Amos was a shepherd. You can see Amos over here around his sheep. He was just a shepherd. You know, nothing fancy, no frills. He's out there tending sheep, moving around from pastor to pastor, and, and there, you know, he would just be up and up there, you know. And, uh, you know, the biggest adventure he'd have is fighting away uh, a wolf or a, a bear or a lion or whatever. That, that was pretty serious stuff. But, you know, they endured. They were, har they were hardy people. Now think about this for a moment. Why does the Lord project here on a shepherd to go and to proclaim his message? I mean, 
here I am minding my own business, Lord. I'm here uh, being a shepherd. Well, you know, if I, w- if I was Amos, I'd say, why me? <laughs> why are you picking me? You know, who am I to go and, and talk to the kings of all the countries that you're asking me to go profess? Now, I put up here a king. You can see Amos wearing his uh, shepherd clothes and then uh, a king or a magistrate, you know, they're kind of heavy set, you know, good eating, wearing nice clothes. And so here he is, you know, the two together. I want you to think about, as I was talking to you about the amen thing that preachers try to do to get you to say amen, because all of us like to hear Amen, brother. Tell it like it is. Because that's exactly what happened with Amos. You see, if I'll put up this, another slide here. This is the kingdoms that uh, Amos was to preach to, the ones in color. And uh, he was asked to go preach to all of them. Amos lived in Judah, the pink country right there, and in Tyre, or Tyre. And uh, it seems like uh, one of the closest ones would be either to go to Gaza and talk to the Philistines or to go up to uh, Israel. But instead... He went all the way up to Damascus. You see that way up top there? To the north? And so he asked him to go there first and visit all of the other nations before he came to Israel. And it's just like what we were talking about. It says... As you look through the first and second chapter, Amos preached against each of the nations surrounding Israel. He started with those dirty, rotten Damascans. They were at the northeast. He was asked to uh, bring judgment to the Philistines in Gaza. And then, and they were on the southwest, and well, you know what a pain the Philistines have been? They've been causing problems with Israel ever since or before Goliath. And of course, the whole time that he's going around and he's talking, you know, they, Israel hears all these things. They're going, Amen! Give it to them! Give it to them, Lord! They deserve your judgment. So he goes out, and he judges them in Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. There are six nations. In Hebrew literature, numbers are very important. Number, so that's six nations that he went to visit so far. And so they were listening 
as he went around, word got through, and as they, you know, they put this all together, listening to the sermon of what Amos had to say, and they knew no sermon, no one, no preacher in his right mind would stop at six points. And so they knew the seventh to come was the biggest and the best. And he went to Judah. And so he started saying, Thus saith the Lord, here's what's going to happen. Thus saith the Lord. And they were going, All right, give it to them. Give it to them, Lord. They have Jerusalem, the temple. We should have that. You give it to them, Lord. But Amos didn't stop there. You see, he, and at this time, you know, Israel was probably, in listening to all the, the things that, we, that he was saying, and then he comes into Israel, and, you know, they figure, hey, Everything's closed. You could almost hear when, they, when he got into Israel, all the Bibles were closed and the, the little uh, pocket things, the zipper started to be zipped. All right, Lord, we're ready to go home. Seventh point was made. And he said, not quite yet. Here's what I have to say to you, Israel. And he went on to say, thus saith the Lord. And he started to tell them about their goings on, which we're going to get into a little later. If you notice, God says the same thing in verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 13, 2, 1, 2, 4, and 2, 6. For three transgressions and for four like I said in Hebrew, thought, numbers were very important. They meant something to be remembered. You know, when Peter went to Jesus, he said, you know, and he, he thought he was being gracious. How many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven times, Lord. And, in, you know, he felt pretty good about seven. Then the Lord said, 70 times seven. In other words, you need to keep on forgiving. There's no, there's no limit. Numbers are very important. Verse 3, I mean, in, I, I mean 3 is a complete number. 7 is complete, and 3 is a complete number. Fullness. You see, when he was talking to the surrounding nations, and to Israel, he was telling them that their maximum capacity of sin was three. He wasn't saying, you only have three sins. It's not like an umpire in baseball. One, two, three strikes, you're out. No, he wasn't like that. It was like, hey, you've reached your maximum. And then he says, and to the fourth. In other words, he was extending the time to the nations. He was giving his grace, period, for them to come back to him. How long do you think 
God should wait. You see, God in his grace, he puts it out there for us. Me and you, the nations, he gave long periods of time. For me and you, though, as individuals, God puts grace out there. And our capacity of sin is within our lifetime. But when are we going to accept God's grace? In God's judgment, there is four elements. The first one is God's grace. So what have you done? Have you accepted God's grace? Or is time running out? See, it's, it, grace only lasts to the end of your life. I mean, the end of your life could come at any time, at any day. That's why it's so serious. This is serious business about grace and God's love for us. If we haven't accepted grace, like he offered the nations, he offered them an extended period of time, wooing them back constantly. And to Israel... He gave them more, to Israel and Judah, he gave them more than the other nations. We're going to look at that. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars. And he was strong as oaks, and yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I bought, brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. And I raised you up of your sons of, for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. It is not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. So the Lord gave Judah and the children of Israel so much more. He, he, he led them out of bondage. He defeated their enemies. He gave them his law. He gave them his word. That's what they had that was extra. But yet, how did they return God's grace? Did they accept it? Did they take it into themselves and say, Lord, we'll do what you want? The second element is God's response. Man's, I mean, man's response to God in giving us grace. What is our response? The children of Israel and Judah, through their time in thinking, you know, who they are, they thought that their ways were right and not God's. I think of a cute little story you know, for you animal lovers. I think you'll like this. There was a dog and a cat. The owner had the dog and was petting the dog. And the dog looked up at the owner and said, he must be God. And the owner had a cat and was petting the cat. cat was purring all nice. Looked up at the owner and says, I must be God. And many times that's how we feel. When God is giving us, 
is petting us, stroking us, and giving us good fortune, and blessing us, sometimes we take it as if we did that. I did that. Look at what I did. In Nineveh, Jonah went and preached to Nineveh and preached a fire and brimstone, told him what was going to happen, and he really hoped it was going to happen. But what did they do? They tore their clothes, sat in ash cloth, and praised the Lord, prayed to the Lord that they might be delivered. And what happened? They were able to exist a while longer. But with Israel, this didn't happen. They became more and more into their sins and rebellion against God. You see, even though all the things that Israel received from God, it says here that the Galileans actually crushed and mangled prisoners under the spikes and wheels of equipment. This is what they did with their extra time that God allowed them tells us that Gaza involved in human trafficking, trafficking in chapter 1-9. tells us that Tyra was involved in slave trading as well, but added a twist. They betrayed their relationship with Israel in order to do it. That's in 111. says that Edom was obsessed with attacking Israel. They constantly engaged in border disputes, and Edom treated Israel with other contempt and Amon violated all sense of dignity in the way he treated his enemies. He would take a woman, cut her open, and then take their babies out and kill them. Utter, utter, terrible. Israel violated God's grace. He gave them victory over his enemies that they might not have responded to God's grace of time. But surely they responded well all the extra provisions. Man's response is element number three. No, number two. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, what, that you will escape judgment of God? There were the Nazarites. They were the holy men. And uh, they, they devoted themselves to holiness. They, they, devout, they said that, that they would not cut their hair or drink wine. Israel was so corrupt, and God in giving them these men of holiness, that they brought them wine to drink. Trying to corrupt them. They put up law, they told them to stop preaching, and, and making it kind of a legal, legal and social issues for them, so that they couldn't do what God had called them to do, in being God's people. They wiped that out. Sometimes I wonder about our nation. You know, we think that, you know, it's on 4th of July, and our, our nation is the greatest nation on earth. By far none. 
But yet, we were a nation that were brought up by, with God and for God. That was our mantra. How far have we slid today from that calling? Today, in America, we start passing laws, social internet, and things going on that promote illicit sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol, the deterioration of humanity. These things are going on, but what about in your life? You see in newspapers that a Nazarite man that drinks wine today, you know, it's front page news. If a good man is doing something wrong, man, they, they love to hammer him. Again, what is your response to grace? What did you do with the extra day God gave you? What do you do with the men of God that are called out to help them? Do you help them prophesy not by getting in their way, trying to bring them down? How are you responding to God's grace? The second element in the pattern of judgment is man's response. The third is man's conviction. It's a funny thing, Cubans that is. God built within us a sense of right and wrong. The problem is, because of sin, we have twisted the sense of what that is. We no longer listen to God, but we try to rationalize within our own lives that sin is okay. It's okay just to, you know, to go ahead and do that. You know, God doesn't really need my money. What does it matter if I don't pay my offering or my tithe? What difference does it make? You know, I tell God about it. Sure. I say, God, I'm not going to pay. <laughs> I guess that's what we say when we do that. What about the other sins in our lives? You see, God instructed Amos in such a way to come about to talk to Israel in such a way that they would listen. At least they'd be able to hear. I don't know that they listened. But to hear what he had to say. Romans 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. I read this, but I want to read it again. Whoever you are who judge, and what you judge another, con condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those that practice such things. And do you think this man, this old man, you judge those practicing such things and do the same that you will escape judgment of God? You see, all the things that happened that Damascus did, Tyra all the, as you read, if you read Amos 1 and chapter 2. This is what the sermon's all about. 
And, and, and it goes through and talks about horrible things. And I don't really want to say all of them here about the crushing and the killing and everything else. But Israel did the very same thing. You know, just like it's talking about, it's inexcusable for you to judge yourself, you know, to judge another and condemn yourself. Because you judge and practice the same things. So Israel was doing the exact same thing, doing the horrible stuff. I mean, even such as killing babies. Because in their time of rebellion, they became idol worshippers of Moloch, which sacrificed babies on an altar and burned, the, burned them in the flames. I mean, horrible things. You can read that, some of the stuff that they did in, in Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, 31. When you're talking about conviction and judgment, God doesn't need to convict us. We convict ourselves. He's long-suffering. He gives mercy. He gives us everything that we have, and he even gives us more. Think of all the privileges we have today. We have the word of God. We have churches. We, ha we can assemble together and to love and to care for one another. These are things that we have. It is easy to condemn. But what about your own lusts? What about your own desires? Where are they? The thing about God's judgment again is that he doesn't convict the same way that we do in the court of law. He gives us more time. And if we don't turn, we convict ourselves. We bring the conviction on ourselves. Judgment is pronounced by the very things that we're doing. God hates sin. Loves us, but hates sin. That has to change. And that it can only change through God's grace. The final element is God's judgment. God judges sin. His judgment is full. His judgment is final. He pours out his wrath on sin. But look how he feels about it. And convictions. In Amos 2.13 Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of cheese. You see, God doesn't want to do judgment. He doesn't like it. People say God was such a meanie in the Old Testament. Look at all the things that he did. I mean, somebody would sin and he'd zap them. You have to realize that God had long suffering and cared for these people for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. He brought them to capacity and then overflowing. He brought them so much grace. He delivered them and gave them so many things, but yet they kept turning away. Many, many judgments involved fire. Other words he used is break, cut off, devour. 
turn my hand against, send into captivity, slay, die. God's judgment of sin is serious. It's brutal. It's ugly. If you want to see what it's like, think of the image of Jesus put on the cross. I don't know how many of you saw the movie with Mel Gibson, Passion of Christ. I watched it once. I said I'd never watch that again. I couldn't take it. Imagining what Jesus went through, the beating that he took, and not just the beating, but the, the people that he loved, taunting and cheering as his heart began to break. And as God took out and brought down his wrath on Jesus Christ, his son. He brought down his wrath of him being nailed on the cross, the thorns put in, 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 on him. All that, all the wrath that was brought down was so that you and I don't have to go through that. We do not have to receive judgment. Hallelujah! I'm free. I'm free of judgment. I'm finally free of sin through Jesus Christ. The only thing that we have to do today is, what are you doing with your borrowed time? Each day is another day of borrowed time because we do not know what will happen from moment to moment. It is my prayer today that each of you think about what God has done for you. In his mercy and his grace, think about turning his wrath on his only son so that you and I might have eternal life. That you and I might have a pressure-free life here on earth. Free of guilt, free of wants, totally satisfied. Within our minds, when, with things falling all around us, we can have peace and heaven on earth, which other people in the world don't have. We, God has given us such blessings. Are we going to be like the children of Israel and like those nations who had borrowed time and turned against God? Or are we going to be a people an individual that accepts Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, Lord, Father, we give thanks for Amos, Lord, being willing to go out and to preach the good news to Israel. It was good news, Lord, even though he talked about harsh things. God tried to have them turn away from their sin. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us here today might accept that gift of grace. And in that, be assured of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.